Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My guest this week is spokesperson for Republicans Overseas UK and chair of the Hamilton Society, Sarah Elliott. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, Joe Biden's been president for exactly a year now. How do you think his first term's going so far? (laughs) Well, if I had to grade him in the American grading system where A plus is best and, you know, F is failing, I mean, I think he deserves an F. And I'm not just saying this from uh, a biased perspective. Um, I mean, the the polling is is showing this as well. Um, Listen, he was at 55 approval, 55% approval, and he's completely flipped it. He's not 55% disapproval. Um, In every single metric that you can measure the country and his performance, he has failed. Um, I don't even know where to begin, really. I mean, he's he's probably the worst president we've ever had. And that trumps uh, Jimmy Carter. And I'm sure Jimmy Carter's really happy that he's lived long enough to see him replaced as the worst president. And, and so let's, I guess, just break it down into different sections. And, you know, your listeners can challenge me on these kind of aspects and they can th- think about it. But I mean, you know, he just, he, let's, you know, you can think about it, you can challenge me on it, but I really don't see there's any other way to view it. First off, the economy. Um, We are now hitting 7% inflation, which is the highest inflation rate we've had since 1982. Um, So the consumer price index is skyrocketing for everything from gas prices, which are up 50%, to like rental cars, which are up 36%, hotels, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. It goes down to everyday life. There are now empty shelves in American grocery stores. This is the United States of America that used to impress Soviet dissidents by our amazing grocery stores. And they are pretty spectacular when the shelves are stocked. We can't get COVID testing tests. You have to wait in line for three hours with other people with COVID. America's in a standstill. It's stuck. It can't get out of the mud. No one is showing up to work. No one wants to go to work. It's too expensive to hire people. We can't get access to our national gas or to our to coal, which I know younger people don't really like coal very much, but we can't even get to natural gas. We were exporting our energy and now we have to import it because of cutting off the Keystone pipeline. Prices are hugely increasing for families across the board. Uh, healthcare is increasing. Um, so basically every single demographic I'm gonna share with you has gone up in the wrong way. Um, let's talk about crime. Ever since 2020, 
and we've had the Black Lives Matter movement and the defund the police uh, efforts from the left, by the way, this is all from the left. This was never condemned by the vice president or the president. In fact, the vice president, Kamala Harris, she was then a U.S. senator, even paid money to into the accounts to get out um, offenders or rioters during the Black Lives Matter protesters uh, protests. Um, but crime has gone up. We had 19,600 murders in 2021 throughout the United States. All major cities have seen increases in crime. We, uh, in murders, for example, LA has gone up 13%. New York City has gone up 4%. Um, Houston, it's all gone up. They're in the hundreds now, okay? And they afflict mostly black and minority communities. Okay, all my friends are moving out of the major cities. They don't want to raise their children there. They're going to places like Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Tennessee. They're literally the country is now segregating itself on whether you live in a red or blue state. And people who vote conservative or Republican will go to a red mm -hmm. state. Now, we all have to remember, too, that um, Republicans have always been the party with the less number of registrants or less number of people who registered to vote as Republican. Well, guess what? In four quarters, that has turned around for like the first time since the 1990s. Um, so we now have starting for, first quarter last year, there were 49 percent of voters were registered as Democrats. And there were 40% Republican. Now, with 47% are registered or aligned with the Republican Party and 42% with Democrats. Wow. This is all just in one year. This is in the first year after Donald Trump was gone. No longer president of the United States. You cannot blame anything on this on Donald Trump. He's not in office. He's not on Twitter. You, this, is, <laughs> this is at the hands of Joe Biden. Let's talk foreign policy. He was supposed to come in and build better alliances with our allies. He was supposed to be the great unifier to the country as well. What has he done? He's left our allies and our servicemen and women and many green card holders stuck behind enemy lines with terrorists in Afghanistan. 13 men and, Williams, men and women service members were killed in a terrorist attack in Afghanistan that was completely preventable, but it was because of our horrible withdrawal. He has been catastrophic with our allies, particularly the British. In a press conference, he's given almost a wink-wink to Putin that says you can do an incursion into Ukraine. We have um, China on the offense. We have North Korea testing weapons again. We have Iran very close to a nuclear weapon. Um, the world is a lot less safe with Joe Biden in office. And on top of that, let's talk about him as a communicator. When he's not bumbling or mumbling jarbleness into the microphone. He's closing his eyes and he looks like he's asleep. There's something not right with him. He's obviously older. He's not his same self that he was for the previous 47 years in the Senate. Age happens, whatever, but he is 79 years old and cannot form a coherent thought or sentence uh, in a press conference, or when he does, <laughs> he gives a wink or a nod to our enemies, like Putin. So crime, oh, immigration, the southern border has not controlled that at all. We have 1.5 million more interactions with law enforcement than under the Trump administration. We're at 2 million illegal aliens were 
confronted by law enforcement, think about the number that slipped through the cracks and got through our country illegally, who we don't know who they are um, and we don't know what they want to do. We could assume they're all great people, but we have caught um, some terrorists at the yeah. border as well. And of course the drug cartels, we know that, are are all funneling this and human traffickers. And there's a lot of criminals who are seeping into the country. There are a lot who are not criminals, by the way, but we are a country of law and order and we need to um, reinforce that and keep it safe for everyone. And funny enough, Hispanics voted for Trump 8% more than for Hillary Clinton um, in 2016. So I'm sorry, in 2020, than they did in 2016. So mm -hmm. Trump earned more Hispanic support and mainly because, you know, the Hispanic immigrants want uh, went through the legal process to become an American citizen. They want everyone else to do the same. Uh, it makes sense. And they are also great with small business and they're great family, uh, pro-family people. And they see that message echoed in the Republican Party. So all this to say, things are not going Mr. Biden's way. And so I give him an F. Okay. Well, that, well that's a fantastic overview of uh, <laughs> what's happened over the last 12 months. So let, let's just try and um, unpack some of that and just break, break it down. So but firstly, on communication there, you, you've been mentioning about the, the fact that he seems to struggle at times on various press conferences or in, in interviews. Now, with, with that, there have been some concerns that's been raised by uh, some in the media or just in, in general conversation about President Biden's mental state. You know, he often makes his words, seems to get agitated around uh, some of the critical questions and just simply forgetting names or uh, what, even drifting off mid-sentence, as you've said before. So do, do you think he is in some sort of a, a, a cognitive decline almost, as, as some have suggested? Or do you think it is simply President Biden showing his age and just being forgetful. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I'm not a doctor. No. I don't know his health records or his health history. I can just go and compare what he was like uh, throughout his career into what he's like now. And he's not doesn't have the same vigor uh, and the same ability to communicate. I mean, how fortunate for him that it was COVID and he got to stay in his basement all the time during the 2020 election campaign. And he didn't have to go out and shake hands and meet people and be on the stump all the time. Um, it worked out really well for him. Um, I, and, you know, we complain about Trump being a poor communicator, but this is this is what you have. This is the best you have, Democrats. This is what you have in response to Donald Trump. Like, what's you know there's there's something wrong with you as a party as well you know if, you, if this is the best you have and this is who you thought you could bring in and um unify the country and the funny thing is is he's no moderate this has not been in a moderate administration and he can't get his agenda through um he has passed covid relief he has passed an infrastructure bill but he can't pass voting rights reform which actually is quite um I, I find unnecessary and the way that they demagogue Republicans as white racists who are trying to prevent people from voting is just absurd and the biggest lie. Mm -hmm. um, but he thinks it's going to help him with the black vote um, and, and the minority vote. And they're, they're fighting battles that I don't think are necessary. Um, you know, he can't end the filibuster because he has two senators of his uh, who believe it's a it's a perfectly fine instrument 
of, of procedure for the U.S. Senate. That's yeah. Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona. These are two Democrats who are more moderate. They have more moderate mm-hmm. constituents and they're blocking him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's supposed to be able to unify us. Well, if you had moderate legislation, you probably could unify two members of your own party. So to answer your question, I I, I can't say for sure what he has, but I think anyone who has can rub two nickels together can see that he's not all there. This issue around voting rights and the filibuster, it seems to be a very contentious topic at the moment. But f- for listeners who perhaps don't uh, follow US politics particularly closely, could you just outline what the filibuster is and what some of those main concerns are that people have? So the filibuster is just a procedure where you can take over debate on the floor and um, you could even you could read from a phone book. <laughs> you could talk about whatever you want, um, but it stalls the process. So while you can get more, while you try to convince your peers that you're correct um, to get more votes on your side, or it could be just a maneuver so that um, behind closed doors you can get more votes and slow the process down. But it it's just both sides use it, and it can be to the benefit of both sides. Um, and so that's why, you know, Manchin and Cinema were like, well, you know, we could be shooting ourselves in the foot just because, you know, so to pass legislation, you do need 60 votes unless it's budget related. And then you can do a simple majority. But, you know, the Democrats don't have 60 votes in the Senate um, and the filibuster can be a way for Republicans to use against Democrats um, to prevent their legislation from going through by dragging it out. Well, guess what? When the Republicans have the majority again, the Democrats can do that to the Republicans. Mm. So, um, you know, it's just one of those uh, parliamentary procedures type things that um, helps the party in opposition. Okay, so just taking a step back then, you you mentioned before about uh, Joe Biden's infrastructure packages and uh, some of the stimulus packages that he's used to try and boost the economy post lockdown. But within that, there is a really serious cost of living crisis uh, developing in the the United States. And there seems to be something similar arising in the UK in terms of uh, fuel and energy bills. Now, that, that initial post-lockdown stimulus package, it cost over a trillion dollars. And this new infrastructure package, this Build Back Better bill, as he's calling it, it is going to cost an additional $2 trillion. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is Joe Biden's economic policy high spend, high reward, or is it just economically illiterate? Because from the sounds of it, it just seems to be adding to the national debt, which is already soaring. I mean, I, I think this is really important for your listeners to know that you know, it's, it all sounds really good to get, you know, a check in the mail from your government for COVID or for furlough, especially, or, or the government wants to pay for your education, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's getting paid for by someone somewhere. And the way that happens is when you print a lot of money and you spend a lot of money that you don't have, then that does affect the cost of living and costs will go up. And that's what we're experiencing now is, is the inflationary spending that started, yes, um, with Trump under COVID, but has been pushed even further by Joe Biden. And I think what's really dangerous is he's playing for short-term political gains and not thinking to long-term consequences on the everyday voter. And so, 
Yeah, people really like to see, like to feel like they're being taken care of by the government. But at the end of the day, they're going to be paying for it by, you know, there'll be less jobs to apply for. Um, they'll, you know, there'll be less benefits provided by an employer. The, you know, gas prices will go up, food will go out, there'll be shortages. Um, it just messes up the whole supply chain. And um Democrats know this. Larry Summer, who was Clinton's economic advisor and I think Treasury Secretary, said, warned about this last summer. Democratic economists know this. And Joe Biden's been in office long enough to understand what creates inflation. And so there's absolutely no excuse for this type of legislation, I think. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat, you know, he said, you've gone too far with spending and he won't support elements of his agenda because of it. There are voices on the left saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even um, one of the economic advisors for Barack Obama said, enough, just stop. This is really bad for the economy. Um, so, you know, there's, in my opinion, there's no excuse for this. This is, they're not ignorant. They're doing this on purpose because they think it's going to help them politically, like in the midterms come November. But mm. um, I think it's ending up, it's going to hurt them. It's hurting them now, I think. We'll touch on the, the mid, midterms shortly, but let's, let, let's move on slightly to look at uh, things a, away from the, the domestic side. Let's look at foreign policy for a moment. And it seems to me that one of the biggest mistakes so far in Joe Biden's early presidency was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And again, ju just as it was from the, the UK perspective, there's a, a real struggle and clamor just to get as many people out of Afghanistan as possible and as, as quickly as possible. But that, that withdrawal and the way it was almost botched in, in some ways, do you think that's undermined uh, Biden's and indeed America's position on the world stage? Oh yeah, I know, I think it has. I think it's, it will take a long time for it to recover. It was just really um, demoralizing for me as someone who's studying politics at the time at university during 9-11, 20 years ago. And then to see what, you know, what has happened 20 years later that we're right back to where we began before 9-11 with that horrible withdrawal, hasty withdrawal where we left our our own citizens, friends and allies behind enemy lines. You know, I can understand why people don't want to trust Americans right now. And I can understand why they don't want to trust um, a Joe Biden administration who's being quite lenient on China, um, wants to try to resurrect the Iran nuclear deal, which, you know, has no teeth in it whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, would, you know, continue to facilitate Iran um, nuclear weapons program. So, you know, I hope that it will change in years to come, but um, the damage that this has done, I, I think we're going to pay for for a long time. Well, in, in a press conference Joe Biden held this week to, to mark his uh, first anniversary in office, he's been accused of giving Russia essentially a green light to invade Ukraine, only if it is a minor incursion, as he puts it. What, what message does that send to Moscow and indeed America's other adversaries like China and Iran, as you mentioned there, about, about what U.S. foreign policy and indeed President Biden's position as the leader of the free world? Yeah, I mean, it gives the impression that as long as you take a small bite, we're not going to come after you, um, that that's OK. I mean, they're, they're basically saying we're not going to live up to our commitments to defend Europe and in, you know, sovereign states. 
who are victims um, of, you know, Russian aggression or even Chinese aggression. I'm sure they're looking at Chinese are looking at this and saying, oh, Taiwan, we could just go take uh, some of their beaches. That's all. I, th I think it's, uh, you know, it's just a sign of weakness. It's not peace through strength. It's the exact opposite of what the Trump administration or the Reagan administration would do. I think it's actually the exact opposite George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush would have done. And it definitely sh shows Ukraine that we're not an ally of theirs. And you know, I wonder what Ukraine thinks of the U.S. and the presidency, being that they had Joe Biden's son on the Burisma board and all the impeachment palava that was happening two years ago. You know, the Ukraine has gotten quite a has gotten involved in American politics quite a lot lately. It's, it's, it's disheartening, really. And I can understand why people wouldn't want to um, partner with the U.S. at the moment. I think the way that the U.K. has responded has been very admirable. Uh, and working with Poland and Ukraine and creating kind of a trilateral uh, wall and support for the Ukrainian people. And I'm really pleased to see the Brits step up in the world where there is clearly a hole in Western leadership um, against these tyrants. And I hope it continues. Well, it's, it's quite interesting to compare this current period in, in time, looking at Donald Trump's time in office, because while, while Trump was in office, there did almost seem to be a certain relative period of peace to some extent. You know, Ch China wasn't so bullish about Taiwan. Russia wasn't making any moves against Ukraine. And even during impeachment, many accused President Trump of being almost a stooge for the Russian government. That was the reason he was impeached the first time, especially around uh, issues with Ukraine. But do you think there is something to be said in a number of leaders like President Xi in China or President Putin in Russia, seeing a Biden presidency as almost a free pass for expansionist pursuits? I mean, if I were in their shoes, I would. Biden wants to be the opposite of what Donald Trump was, right? Hmm. Because anything Trump that Trump did was bad, you know, because it's just Trump. Um, as opposed to actually looking at what worked in the Trump administration, giving Trump and his administration credit where credit is due. The Democrats have always tried to be more dovish, less hawkish, um, you could say. Yeah, they, I, would, I would say that it gives definitely the green light to do certain things um, that they know they're not going to get pushback for. And it kind of reminds me of like, uh, Obama's red line when it came to chemical weapons in Syria. Um, there was absolutely no repercussions for that. And that civil war kept getting going on and on and nastier and nastier. Mm. I think that Joe Biden doesn't understand the role he's in and the role he could play, or if he does, he, he clearly has a different view, which I think is uh, futile and useless. Um, He's been in government long enough to know what works and what doesn't work. I mean, Bob Gates, who was Secretary of Defense under Bush and Obama, has said on many occasions that Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of history many times. Barack Obama even said about his own vice president, don't underestimate how Joe Biden can bleep it up. This is this is all things that we shared in the debates and um, you know, the Republicans tried to put forward to the American people about Joe Biden, but the bottom line was, is he wasn't Trump. Just sticking with Donald Trump for a moment, his departure from office was the trigger for the riots and the scenes that we saw at, at the Capitol on the, the 6th of January 2021. Now, was this actually an, an insurrection, as many in the media have said it was, and as Congress impeached Trump for a second time for, or was this simply just a protest that got out of hand? 
I think I think it was a protest that got very much out of hand, and it ends completely. By the way, I condemn it. Mm, <laughs> I think yeah. it was uh, completely wrong and inappropriate, mm. and um, should have never happened. Mm. Uh, I think the president did play um, a role in it, uh, and he should have actually been much more forthright in stopping it as it was unfolding. Uh, I think the responsibility to the D.C. mayor should have called in a National Guard, the National Guard, to come and defend the Capitol. They had warnings that this was um, that there were people who wanted to do such things and they didn't respond to them. I think there's a lot of people that hold a lot of responsibility for that day. Um, And this was actually when I stepped away from supporting the president who I had um, defended in 2020 in the campaign and I had voted for, but I thought he lacked real leadership on January 6th. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I don't, I I think the Democrats love to take advantage of January 6th and all its ugliness, but Mm -hmm. they don't like to look at their own side, such as Antifa, who has been terrorizing cities, particularly Portland and Seattle for almost two years now and have even crossed over into our shores as well. So um, I, I think that the Democrats um, need to do some self-reflection as well. There's radicalism on both sides and the parties need to rein them in. Those scenes at the Capitol, they seem to be a, a real reflection and almost a, a symbol of the immense divisions that we've seen over the last five, six years in, in the United States. And COVID-19 and lockdown have only been deepening those divisions. Now, is is Joe Biden actually the person who can heal those longstanding rifts, especially after he's stood in the 2020 election on a platform, as, as he called it, to win the battle for the soul of the nation? Yeah, I think he's completely lost the plot. He had all year to do that. And yet he has demonized Republicans as white supremacists, as hearkening back to like Jim Crow days, which for your listeners was when there were real obstacles for black people to vote, racist obstacles, but calling, trying to unite the country and yet calling your opposition racist doesn't help. That doesn't unify. It's just not true. We just had the first Republican lieutenant governor of Virginia elected in November, and she just was sworn in last week. She's a U.S. Marine. She's a Jamaican immigrant. And you know what? She served in the U.S. Marine Corps before she was a U.S. citizen. And she's a Republican woman, pro-Second Amendment, African-American. We're, you know, sorry, if we were all a bunch of racists, she wouldn't join our party. You know, the first Hispanic attorney general of the Commonwealth of Virginia was just inaugurated. You know, again, if we're all a bunch of racists, we wouldn't have Hispanics and black people in our party. And these are not just outliers, by the way. <laughs> There's, they're, they're throughout the country. Trump grew support among Hispanics and African-Americans in 2020. And I think growing exponentially now because of Joe Biden. So this rhetoric does work with some people, but most people know it's just not true. Okay, well, let's let's move away from Joe Biden for a moment and let's look ahead to the midterm elections in November. Now, again, for, for listeners who aren't avid followers of US politics, 
why should we take an interest in the midterms? Aren't they just another set of parliamentary or local elections in another country? They are. And they probably you probably won't um, agree with all their points of view or understand where they come from on things because America is culturally different. We may somewhat speak the same language, but we do have a different history um, and a, a different perspective on the world. But they represent local interests at the national level, and they will help to realign the uh, partisan makeup of the U.S. Congress. And that will decide whether Joe Biden can continue to push through radical left-wing agenda or more spending. U.S. House of Representatives, it's very close right now. It's about four or five seats um, away from Republicans taking over. The Republicans are set to probably take the House back. There's also redistricting going on because of the 10-year census that was just done, um, giving um, Republicans more seats because a lot of the state legislatures are run by Republicans. And by the way, gerrymandering goes on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Democrats do it too. You should look up some of the really funky-sized congressional districts. Uh, in America, you know, so that we have more minority representation, et cetera, um, uh, in Congress, but also the Senate will decide a tremendous amount. And Joe Biden's having a really hard time with about a 51 uh, vote right now, or majority in the Senate, and uh, what is it, 52? And uh, it could even become more difficult after the midterms, which I think it will be. I, I, I predict a red wave is coming a GOP red wave. And um, I think the Republicans will have maybe not massive majorities in both chambers, um, but a, but um, a, a pretty strong one. I think people are really unhappy with the direction the country is going right now. We saw in the election in Virginia, which Virginia um, is kind of different from the rest of the country where they have their gubernatorial in an odd year. So they have their governor's race in the year after the presidential. And it's always kind of a bellwether as to how the country is doing, and especially because it borders with Washington, D.C. So Virginia has been a purple state, meaning it is a flip state between um, Democrats who are blue and Republicans who are red. But it's it's been voting Democrat for the last 12 years. Well, for the first time in 12 years, Republicans swept all three top offices. And um, they they took a lot of Democrat votes in the northern part of the state near Washington, D.C., and it was over parental control of their children and their children's education. And so that's going to be um, a real big message in the midterms. It's going to be about empowering the parents against the bureaucrats and getting back to normal. So on, on this revival of the Republican Party at the moment, as, as you suggested there, and going into the midterms, if Congress does flip, so the Republicans take the House of Representatives and the Senate, what, what does that actually mean for Democrat Joe Biden and the remainder of his presidency? And similarly, if, if only one of the chambers of Congress flips, again, how does that impact the remainder of his presidency? or first term anyway. I mean, I just don't think he can get his legislative agenda through. He'll be mm-hmm. completely hemmed in unless he moderates himself, mm-hmm. unless he comes back to the center, which I hope he does, because I don't like, you know, I don't like these mass, you know, these vaccine mandates, mm-hmm. you know, that he was, I don't like everything having to go to the Supreme Court to be decided because it's so divisive. Um, 
you know, he put in a mandate that has been overturned by the Supreme Court, but that basically every employer with over 100 employees, all their employees had to be vaccinated to mm. go to work. I, I mean, unconstitutional in the, in that sentence, in my mm. opinion. Yeah. Like, start putting constitutional mm. laws before Congress and you might get some yeah. things passed. I hope that he he finds that it's better to moderate. It's kind of like here in this country, like no one really wanted to be up against Jeremy Corbyn. He was too mm. far left and he got way too darn close to number 10 Downing Street. So I kind of feel that way about the Democrats. Can you please come back to some common sense right. and, mm-hmm. um, and let's agree on a few things. Let's find ways where we agree on, not just what we disagree on. So l- looking ahead then even further to the next presidential election, 2024, do you think Joe Biden will run for a second term? Ah, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? Because he has a really poor performing mm-hmm. um, number two, Kamala Harris. She's not popular. She wasn't even popular to begin with. She couldn't even enter the primary in 2020. Like she only got 2% of the vote nationwide and was never competitive in, um, I didn't, she didn't even stand in any of the primary caucuses. Um, with, for the Democrats, she clearly is there because she's a black woman um, and she, she can smile, but she has a horrible laugh. So, um, I mean, let's see, let's go back to Joe, Joe 2024. So he's what, he's 79 now, he was 78 last year. So he'll be 82, 82. And then that would put him at like 86 at the end of his second term. I, I have a very hard time believing that. Um, I'm starting to notice op-eds in the Washington Post that say, oh, we have a great lineup of really strong candidates in the Democratic Party. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. You guys are thinking that way too. Right now, from all my sources that are close to the hub of the Democrats, um, they have no one else. Right. That they, and they are all behind Joe. So the okay. idea right now, year two, and they have time to turn things around, they say, mm-hmm. is Joe Biden. Um even if they, even if he doesn't win, I'm not sure. I, I think Kamala Harris will put her hat in the ring at some point, but I don't think she'll win. Um, the she won't win the primary. So, um, as of right now, I do think Joe Biden runs for a second term, but I think that could change. So let, let's say in a, in a hypothetical world in 2024, Joe Biden doesn't uh, stand for re-election. Uh, Vice President Harris does get the nomination. Who, who would be the front runners to be her running mate? I think Pete Buttigieg, the transport secretary, who was the former South Bend, Indiana mayor. He's also, um, a, a, you know, he's he's known for being um, a gay father um, and, and having um, a husband. So he would be, you know, the first gay couple on a, on a U.S. ticket. And for Democrats, inputs and identity politics is really important. So for them, like, that's a great rally. Forget about the fact that he's only ever earned 8,500 votes in his whole life. And he'd be like the vice president of the United States, uh, being a mayor of a small town. I mean, he did serve his country. He was um, a reservist. He's, oh, he's brilliant. You know, and the Democrats and their brilliance, they just love, they love to be ruled by like really smart, big brains that went to Harvard and the Ivy League. So they can tell us what to do, like, you know, to wear cloth masks because they're perfectly, because they work, 
You know, I mean, if anything COVID should have done is just to teach us that these people in these ivory towers don't know everything. Um, But the Democrats love being told what to do by really smart people with big brains. Um, Whereas I prefer, um, you know, track records. And I like Mm -hmm. governors because I can see how well they've done in governing. So I think Pete Buttigieg, sorry, I've gone on a tangent, but Pete Buttigieg and otherwise I have no idea. I do not know their bench of talent right now. So look, looking at the Republican side of this, if Donald Trump did run for the Republican nomination again, as he has suggested, do you think he could win the nomination and then potentially go on to have a rematch with Joe Biden? I think there's a chance that. But I did just see polling from NBC um, yesterday that said that the party, that people identify with the Republican Party more than with Donald Trump. And because there is an alternative to Donald Trump, who's quite palatable and who has proven his um, MAGA-ness, so to speak, he is Ron DeSantis of Florida. So he has been a real freedom fighter for civil liberties uh, during the COVID crisis. His, the death uh, rate for, co- for COVID in Florida has ranked 17th in the country. And he has a lot of people who are elderly with comorbidities but yet they've maintained to, they haven't been one of the top uh, COVID death rates, but he's been able to also keep people's lives going on as normal. So that has been ultra appealing. He's also fought against a critical race theory. He's um, he sounded a, a bit like Trump, but with more statesmanlike appeal. So he appeals a lot to the suburban voter that Trump lost in 2020 um, and that the Republican party needs to get back the Republican Party has shown that it can win without a MAGA candidate, such as Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia now. He's very much in in line with the traditional Republican CV um, and did not embrace Trump in his election campaign, but he didn't uh, criticize Trump either. But he just kept Trump out of the conversation and he won overwhelmingly independents and Democrats. So I think that's the recipe that Republicans need to take into 2024. And I think Ron DeSantis is a great option for that. I do not think Republicans should go with Donald Trump again. And also he won't be a spring chicken. He'll be in his late seventies. He'll be the same age as Joe Biden is now roughly. Um, I think we need to take away what Trump did right in his four years in office um, and take that message, but it, with a new messenger. And that there have also been rumors that Hillary Clinton is looking at a, a return to public life and could potentially have a, a third run for the Oval Office. I mean, oh it, I mean in, in a country of 350 million people, how is it that two of the front runners for the presidency of the United States are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump again? Uh, well, I think this just goes to show that um, Hillary Clinton has a lot of friends still in the media who would like to see her run and may put that out there as feelers, or she may ask them to put feelers out there for her. I mean, in America to win, you need to have money and name recognition. And that's something that these two people have <laughs> loads of it. Um, and, but I agree with you. I think we can do better. And uh, I think it's time to let other people lead. And that's also why I believe in term limits for politicians. Okay, so just to finish then, let's bring our conversation back to Joe Biden. What what do you see as the the biggest challenges that he faces now for the next 12 months and 
indeed for the remainder of his first term. He needs to turn the economy around. He needs to get prices down, the cost of living down. He needs to stop spending money. Um, and then he also needs to be fortifying our allies overseas. I hope and stop worrying about identity politics. Stop worrying about who's the first trans this, who's the first gay that, who's the first black. Stop, stop. And stop talking. Stop calling your enemies racist. Mm-hmm. That's the only argument the Democrats have for Republicans. And that needs to stop mm-hmm. because it doesn't help the country. And it's just not true. OK, Sarah Elliott, thank you very much for coming on the show. Great. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.